Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, let's look first of all in chapter number 17 uh, and in verse number 11. 17.11 The Bible tells us there, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us this evening. Lord, we need your touch. Lord, we need your help. Father, I yield myself to be used by you. I yield my, my arms and my hands, my feet, my legs, my mouth, my eyes, my ears, all for you, Lord, to be used by you, Lord, to bring the message that you've given to us for this evening. Lord, I pray, Father, that it will be an encouragement I pray, Lord, that it will bring conviction. I pray, Lord, that it will help us to grow grow closer to you, draw closer, Lord, to follow you and live for you. Father, we thank you for all these things and all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Many of you may not realize what today is on the Jewish calendar. Today, on the Jewish calendar, is... Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, it is the most holy day and the most solemn day on their calendar. Matter of fact, uh, of the Jewish feasts in the Bible, uh, this was the last feast of the year. Now, later, during the intertestament period, uh, when God was silent Uh, there was another feast that was added, another festival that was added known as Hanukkah, or Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. And what that festival was is when Antiochus Epiphanes, a Syrian king, he had captured Jerusalem and he had gone into the temple and on the Ark of the Covenant and the altar in the temple of God, he had sacrificed a sow, a pig, and offered the blood of a pig upon that altar. And this is what Daniel called the abomination of desolation. Well, that so incensed, it so angered uh, the priest, uh, Judas Maccabeus and his sons. Uh, they rebelled, in the Maccabees, they rebelled, and they took and they Capture, recapture Jerusalem. They defeated Antiochus and put him out of the city. They rededicated the temple. They offered the sacrifices again. And this festival, Hanukkah, is in memory of the rededication of the temple and the cleansing from what happened when the abomination of desolation took place in Daniel's day. Now, I have to say this. Because on Thursday nights in our Bible college, we're teaching in the book of the Revelation. There, are, there will come another abomination of desolation that will take place during the tribulation period. The Antichrist, uh, the beast, he is going to enter into that tribulation temple and he is going to cause the oblation to cease, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 24. And he is going to make it desolate. 
the sacrifices, the offering of the sacrifices of the Levitical law will once again be carried out by uh, the Jews during the tribulation, the Orthodox Jews. And he will go in the temple and will stop those sacrifices. And he will say, I am God, worship me. And he will offer the sacrifice on the temple. Again, making that tabernacle, that temple, that altar, desolate. It's as if Ichabod was written over it. The glory of the Lord has departed. That happens in the days of the Maccabees. It will happen during the days of the tribulation. But just as in the days of the Maccabees, there was a deliverer in the days of the Antichrist, a deliverer will come. In Revelation chapter number 19, there'll be a rider upon a white horse who has a vesture dipped in blood and a name upon his, his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, crowned with many crowns. And he's coming back to earth as has been promised. And he's going to set up his kingdom and for a thousand years he'll rule and reign from the throne in Jerusalem. That's Hanukkah. One of that, that's not really my, my message. Uh, but what, when I think about these festivals, I, I, I think about today, Yom Kippur. Uh, that, the, that phrase, Yom Kippur. Yom is just simply the Hebrew word for a day. It means one 24-hour period, one day. To uh, the Jews during Bible days, their days would start at sunset and would continue on until sunset the next day. Our days are on a solar cycle and they start in the morning when the sun rises and they our day end more or less as the sun goes down. The next morning at sunrise, that's a full 24-hour day. But for the Hebrew, it was from sunset to sunset. And beginning last night, when the sun set, and tonight as the sun is setting, I'm looking through the doors and the windows and the sun is going down, Yom Kippur is almost finished. But the word Yom, it just simply means a day, a 24-hour period. I believe that God created the world in six Literal 24-hour periods. Because when the Bible speaks in Genesis 1-1 about uh, the, the day and the morning and the evening was one day, the day morning and evening was the second day, the third day, the fourth. The word that was used for day was the Hebrew word yom. And it simply means one 24-hour period. One day. It was not an age. It was not a thousand years or a millennial or a group of, of uh, a thousand. No, the Bible said it was one day. But on this day, it's a holy day, a special day. On this day, on the day of Yom Kippur, the word Kippur simply means to cover. We use that word if it were a verb, it would simply mean to cover. So on this day, what would happen is there was a covering that took place, but not just any covering. And this was not just any day. As I said, this was a special day. It was a holy day. It was a high day. It was on this day that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with blood and would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on 
the altar on the Ark of the Covenant. And when he sprinkled the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, when the blood was sprinkled, if everything had been done according to the Bible and followed exactly as God had instructed, then what would happen is the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, would come down and would meet with His people. And for another year, the sins of the people were covered. They were covered for one more year. When the, when the ark was covered with blood, God accepted the blood offering and then the sins of the people were forgiven. They were covered for one more year. And of course, that had an ultimate fulfillment on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For all of the bulls and the goats and the turtle doves and uh, everything that had been offered. As you can imagine, the day that Solomon uh, dedicated the temple, uh, there were so many animals that were sacrificed on the altars of sacrifice that they said the blood had flowed down from the mountainside into the brook Kidron, which uh, flowed right down beside uh, the, the temple mount, that the blood had flowed out of the gutters into that and had turned uh, that brook completely red with the blood. Blood of sacrifices. Blood that had been offered over and over and over. Thousands of sacrifices through the years for daily sins, for national sins. The blood had been shed, but what happened is on the cross, on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, He stretched out His hands on the cross and He said, It is finished. There was no more sacrifice for sin that needed to be offered. The final offering has been made. The last offering is done. No more blood will be needed for sacrifice. And on this day of Yom Kippur, this was the day the high priest would enter in to the Holy of Holies. Uh, he, would go, uh, he would go past the veil and enter in and would place the blood on the mercy seat. As a matter of fact, that mercy seat, uh, literally, uh, the Old Testament word tells us it's a seat of judgment. It was a judgment seat. But when blood was applied, then it became a mercy seat. Twelve months out of the year. 364 days out of the year from inside the Holy of Holies. From that seat of judgment, it was calling out, sin must be judged. Sin must be judged. Sin must be judged. Then the high priest would enter in and would offer the blood. And when the blood was placed on the mercy seat, then God would reach down and would show mercy toward those who were under the blood. We think about uh, the blood and what's happening uh, in the Bible with the blood. It was God Himself in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned. He was the one who offered a sacrifice of animals. And it was Him who shed the very first sacrificial blood in the Bible. It was God Himself. And therefore, we realize that if sin's going to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. It's just one chapter later in chapter number 4. We find that the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they brought their sacrifice before the Lord. When they brought their sacrifice before the Lord, God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was a blood sacrifice. 
But God rejected the sacrifice of Cain because that sacrifice was not a sacrifice of blood. As a matter of fact, in chapter number 4, in verse number 7 in Genesis, God told Cain, He said, If thou doest well, the sacrifice lieth at the door. Sin lieth at the door. The sacrifice for sin was there. All he had to do was go and offer what God required. His sins would have been forgiven. But because of whatever reason it may be, pride or uh, for whatever reason, he decided he would not and he found himself banished from the blessings and goodness and presence of God for the rest of the days of his life because he did not bring a blood sacrifice. We find in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter number 22, Abraham and Isaac, they are headed up the side of a mountain. And as they're headed up the side of the mountain, as a matter of fact, it was the same mountain that would later become uh, where the, the very spot where Abraham offered offered Isaac is the very spot where when the temple was built, The permanent house of God was built. The Ark of the Covenant sits on the very spot where Abraham was going to offer Isaac. But the Bible said when Isaac said, "Uh, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it was in that very spot that Blood had been shed and a ram caught in a thicket became the sacrifice that day. A perfect picture of the substitutionary sacrifice on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter number 12, we read there how that God required the blood of a lamb to be applied if God was going to pass over the household. If God was going to forgive those who were inside the house, then blood had to be applied to the post of the door. No blood, no forgiveness. No blood, no Passover. We also read that Leviticus chapter number 23. Uh, if we go there tonight, Leviticus 23 in chapter number, uh, verse number 2. God spoke to the children of Israel and uh, he said, Say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwelling." It was God who gave Moses the instruction for the sacrifice in the Levitical priesthood. And those sacrifices must be a blood offering. There was a few, such as the wave offering of first fruits, uh, the drink offering, which was never drank by the priest, but poured out because they felt themselves unworthy. But the sins of the people were forgiven with the blood. Daily sacrifices were offered on the altar of burnt offerings for the sins of the people. They had daily sacrifices that the priests offered. As I said, they were not only daily, but there were other feasts where animals were offered during the year uh, in the different uh, feasts and festivals for the Jewish people. And on this day, this day, 
This day, this is Yom Kippur. It's the day when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and the sins of all the people is forgiven one more year by God. The book of Hebrews 9.22 tells us plainly without the shedding of blood there is no remission or no forgiveness. The only way we will have forgiveness is if blood is shed. That is the only way. There is no other way. There is no other road that will bring you or take you to salvation. It must go through the blood. And we must go through the blood. When we think about blood, well, we've already read in uh, chapter number 17 and verse number 11 that life is in the blood. And of course, uh, we have some nurses here. I think they can vouch for what I'm, what I'm about to say. Uh, if you do not have any blood in you, you probably are not alive. I think that is a correct medical statement. That if you are here and your blood is there, then you will cease to live. Uh, there's no doubt when you go to the mortician and the... Uh, mortician puts his juice in you all of your blood comes out and if you were not dead before you will be dead when they're finished with you in the body without blood we will not live physically we cannot live blood is vital to our physical life you know I began studying this, what, you know, the heart and the blood and the uh, circulatory system. It's an amazing thing what God created on the inside of us and put on the inside of us. Uh, you, the, the average heart, the average heart, someone who is healthy and in good physical shape, uh, their heart will beat 70 to 75 times per minute. And... When that heart is beating, it will circulate all of the blood in the body throughout the body one time. So every minute of every day of all your life, the blood, your blood is being circulated through your entire body. That blood, it, it, it circulates, the heart pumps approximately 2,000 gallons of blood a day Every day. When you think about that, uh, one minute times 24 hours, uh, that's 1,440 times the blood circulates through your body. 365 days a year, 525,600 times every year the blood circulates through your body. If you live to be 70 years, and there's probably some of you here tonight who are just over 70. Uh, many of us are just under 70. Uh, but in 70 years, you, the blood will circulate through your body over 36 million times. God has created something in us that is uh, just mind-boggling. I mean, it's, it's wonderful what God is doing. And without that, what will happen is if our blood is not circulating, if the blood is not moving, we will die. 
As a matter of fact, uh, blood itself reminds us of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's the plasma or red blood cells. And then there are the blood cells themselves, white cells, red cells, and platelets. There are three parts to our blood. Just as there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's the plasma, the cells, and the platelets. We find also that in that blood there's protein, there's glucose, and there are hormones. Without these three things in our blood, you are going to be in big trouble. I just want to tell you that there was a time whenever uh, my wife's hormones got out of balance and it was not a happy home around our place. When your hormones get out of balance... It creates havoc, chaos. You have to have that in balance. Or the proteins, if the proteins are not in your blood, or if your glucose gets too high or too low, uh, it's, uh, this is what happens to diabetics when their blood sugar goes too high, too low. You have to address those things. Those are problems in the blood. Many sicknesses can be diagnosed through the blood. You go to the doctor, what they're going to do is they're going to take a blood panel. Uh, they're going to take a blood panel on you. Uh, they can tell if you're anemic or you don't, your red blood count is low. Uh, they can tell about many lymphomas or leukemia. Many types of cancers can be diagnosed through the blood. And of course, I talked about uh, the diabetics. A diabetic, uh, when they have problems with high High glucose, low glucose, uh, you, you can have problems. There are other, these things can be diagnosed through the blood. Because in the blood is our life. It is our life. You remove our blood and we will die. Because the Bible says life is in the blood. Now that's physically what the blood is about, but what about biblically? I've already talked about that some biblically. What is the blood? Uh, the coats of skin that God offered. Uh, it's in uh, the blood on the door, the offerings of Leviticus chap- chapter number 23 and the festivals and the offering of the blood in Leviticus chapter 16. This is what the Bible has to say about the blood. But what I'd look, like to look at for a few minutes is not just the physical part of the blood, or the biblical part of the blood, but theological, what about this blood? What about this blood that God said is necessary for an offering? And not just what God said is necessary, but the process that is used to bring the blood to the Ark of the Covenant and to the mercy seat and applied to the mercy seat. What happens on this day, there's an offering that we call the scapegoat offering took place on this day. And if you know anything about that scapegoat offering, and I'm sure many of you do, you know about the scapegoat offering, what would happen on this day is they would bring two goats before the high priest and they would place those goats in front of him. And as the high priest would come up, he would come to the goats, he would cross his hands and pray a blessing over these goats. Then he would reach into his breastplate, and inside the breastplate were these two stones called the Urim and Thummim. One was black, one was white. 
You can imagine what happened if you get blackballed. And he would mix them up inside. As he was praying over these goats, he would pull out a ball. And if it were white, he would cast lots. And the, the lot that fell on the goat, the white ball, that goat would be set free. And the other goat would be sacrificed. So as soon as he prayed his prayers, he said the blessings, he cast the lots. As soon as they knew which goat would be set free and which goat would be sacrificed, immediately the Levites, the other priests, they would come up and they would take a red ribbon and they would tie that in the horns of the goat that was to be sacrificed. That way they could keep the two separated before they were sacrificed. It was clear which one would be set free and which one would be sacrificed. But the next thing they would do is they would take the goat that was going to be set free. And the Bible says that a strong man would lead that goat out into the wilderness and would lead them so far away that they would never find their way back home, back to Jerusalem. And you know, animals, they have this sense sense of direction. They have a built-in GPS. We had this cat one time. And that cat, it was the monster cat. And we decided we're going to get rid of this cat. Now, this is when I was a little kid. You know, this is when we, I was a kid. I didn't do this, okay? I blame it on my parents. They did this. <laughs> we drove and drove and drove and drove around in circles and drove around and around. And we put that cat out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And we drove back home. And within a day, that cat was right back at the, at the house. They just knew how to get back. They knew all about it. They just have a way of doing that. So they would take this goat and they would lead it out of the wilderness and take it to a place. And what they would do to make sure it never come back, they pushed it off a cliff. But don't tell anybody they did that. That's a secret. It's a... <laughs> but it was never to return. That is a picture of God's forgiveness... Of our sins. They're cast behind his back. Never to be remembered anymore. They are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Never to be remembered anymore. Our sins are forgiven. One day we as a child of God. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will be judged. But we will not be judged for our salvation. For we are saved. And we'll never become unsaved. There's no way that we can ever get ourselves out of the family of God. We are forever once we are birthed into the family of God by the new birth as Jesus told Nicodemus you must be born again the first time physically, the second time spiritually and so it is the second time that we are born we are born in the family of God we will always be in the family of God at the judgment seat of Christ we will not be judged for salvation but we will be judged for our service for God whether our service, you know, we get up here, we sing a song, some of us do. 
Get up here and try to sing a song. And if we're doing it because we want to be heard of somebody, if we're doing it because we want people to come by and pat us on the back, oh, that was great, you did a great job. And people do understand that. But that's not the sole reason, the sole purpose. We do it to please God, to worship God, to honor God, to lift up the name of God, and to uh, do what we can to bring people to a place of worship. And when we do that, uh, that's what we'll be judged on, the intent and the purpose of what we're doing for God. Did we do it for self-gain? Did we do it for self-gratification? Oh, did we do it for God? If we did it for ourselves, then it's going to be like that wood or hay or the stubble. It'll just be burned up and it'll be gone. But if we did it for God, it'll be like the gold, the jewels, uh, the precious stone, gold, silver, and precious stones, which when they are put through the fire as Brother Joe so aptly preached last Sunday night when they're subjected to the fire, the precious stones, they are not burned away. They're not burned up. They make it. They survive the fire. The gold and the silver is purified in the fire. And so it is when the fire is applied, it will either come forth as pure gold or as the wood, hay, and stubble burned away. Our sins carried away. Never to be remembered anymore. I like that old song they sing, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. anymore. You know who remembers our past sins? We do. And because we remember it, Satan's always bringing that up to us, saying, you remember when? You remember what? You remember how? And he tries to defeat us and discourage us and to keep us from doing anything for God simply because of those past sins. But when we began praying about those, you know, and we've already prayed about them ten times before. We already said, God, forgive me, I did this or that. And we go back again, Lord, forgive me. And God, the next time he says, what are you talking about? Huh? I don't, I don't understand that. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. For our sins are forgiven. That goat, that scapegoat, it's led away never to return. But the fate of the goat with the ribbon on its horns, it's destined for sacrifice. What the high priest would do on the day of atonement, they would take that goat and they would tie him and place him on the altar of sacrifice. And they would take a bowl. It was known as a Mizrak. A bowl. And they would cut the throat of the goat and catch the blood in the bowl. And once they had captured the blood in the bowl, what the high priest would do next is... He would transfer that bowl to his left hand. Then he would take the index finger on his right hand. And as he began to approach the holies of holies, uh, let's let's imagine in our mind, uh, a few months ago we studied the tabernacle the, uh, in the wilderness, the Old Testament tabernacle and uh, the temple and, you know, the... Uh, uh, burnt altar of burnt offerings and the laver and the the table of showbread we studied all of those things uh the pastor took us through all of that but imagine now we're standing outside at the altar and we've caught the blood we had the blood in our bowl and we're now approaching 
we're approaching the entrance into the inner temple. And as the priest gets to the doors, he would take his index finger, dip it and sprinkle. Dip it and sprinkle. Dip it and sprinkle. Seven times. Then he would enter in and stand before the veil. If you went behind that veil and you were unauthorized to go behind that veil, you would not live to tell about it. As a matter of fact, there were some high priests who had gone behind that veil and had not followed the instruction of God explicitly and they lost their life. Therefore, uh, what they, the Jews would do, the Levites would do, is they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest before he went in. And they would, they had pomegranates along the hem of his ephod, the garment that he wore, so they could hear him as he's walking around and moving inside the temple and eventually behind the veil. So he would take the blood, he sprinkled it on the doors, he's entered in, he's standing before the veil. This veil was of great needlework. You can read in the book of Exodus about that veil, uh, how it was made, and the strength of that veil, how they took that veil, and uh, they would test it by tying the corners of it to horses or, or to oxen and have them pull. If the veil tore, it was unusable. If it would withstand the pulling of four oxen, one on each corner, then it was usable for a veil. He's standing now before this veil with the red and the the purples and the silver and the golden threads. And he takes his bowl and he takes his index finger again one time, two times, three times, four times, seven times he sprinkles the veil. Can you imagine through the centuries as the blood had been sprinkled upon the veil, the blood stains that were there, the dried blood that was on that veil, and now fresh blood being sprinkled on that veil. And once the high priest had sprinkled the blood on the veil, he would enter into the Holy of Holies. Inside this most holy place stood the Ark of the Covenant of God. And on either side of the ark were the cherubims, the angels as they spread their wings from corner to corner and they looked down upon the mercy seat. Just in anticipation of this day, today, Yom Kippur, when the blood would be sprinkled onto the mercy seat, the high priest would come up to the altar. But before he sprinkled on the altar, he sprinkled blood. He would march around the ark and sprinkle blood. Seven times he would walk around and sprinkle blood and sprinkle blood. And when he was finished, now he can approach the ark of the covenant of the testament of God. As he walks up, I'm sure his heart is pounding by now. His life is in his hands. He could lose his life if he's not done everything properly, he takes and he sprinkles the blood. He sprinkles the blood. He sprinkles the blood. And the cherubims are looking down. And God is looking down. And as the high priest sprinkles the blood, the house begins to fill with smoke. 
and the Shekinah glory of a holy God begins to fill the place. And God meets one more time with His people. And God, He begins, He forgives, He brings forgiveness to His people. And there the blood has been applied. That happens today. Today. Maybe not necessarily today because there is no temple in Jerusalem today. But everything is there and prepared. They're planning on. The Orthodox Jews were prepared and they said within, probably within a month, three weeks to a month, they could reconstruct their prefabricated temple. They have all of the fixtures in place. The the United States, just at the beginning of September, uh, sent five pure red heifers there. A red heifer has to be used to dedicate a temple. Without a pure red heifer, a temple cannot be dedicated and cannot be put into service. And what they would do is they would breed, here in Texas, they bred these pure red heifers. And they would go over these cows, these cattle, with a magnifying glass. And if they found one blemish, it was disqualified. If they found one hair that was not red, if or white or black, just one from its tail to its nose, it was discarded. It was disqualified. Five of those had just been shipped last month to Jerusalem and they are waiting in anticipation for a time when they'll have a permission from the Muslims who are now in control of the Holy Mount. As soon as they have permission, they're going to be begin building their tabernacle, their temple there on Mount Moriah. But something happened. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, He called out. And this is the word He used. Telestai. It not only means it is finished, but it means that word, it is finished once and for all. It will never be repeated again. For the perfect blood and the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus even used the perfect word in the perfect tense. And he said, it is finished, it's completed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, uh, they talk about the blood of Jesus uh, being shed on the cross. Uh, I believe it was shed and not spilled. You spill milk, you spill water, and you wipe it up and you discard it. But when it's shed, it's for a purpose, it's for a use. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed on Calvary. The blood was caught. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself entered into the Holy of Holies. These things on earth were just a pattern of the real. They were just a pattern, a model of the actual. God before Him was the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord Jesus Christ walked into the very presence of God Himself, holding His own blood in His hand, and He sprinkled His blood on the altar, and He sprinkled it on the altar. And the book of Isaiah, God said, it is sufficient. It is enough. It is completed. It is done. Never to be repeated again. You can repeat it again, but it'll have no effect. When I talk about repeat it, I'm talking about sacrificing animals. 
You can sacrifice all the animals you want. But it will not do a thing because the perfect sacrifice has been made in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I began thinking about when uh, they asked me to preach tonight and to take care of the service tonight. I, I, I was praying and I actually had something else I was going to bring. And this afternoon, I looked at my calendar and it said Yom Kippur. And it's like something inside of me said, that's it. That's it. Today's the day. Preach about it. Preach about it. And so it is. The blood has been applied. And because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied in heaven, then all of us who believe on Him have faith in Jesus as the Son of God and believe that He is God the Son. If we'll place our life in His hands, then the Holy Spirit will move in on the inside of us. And the blood of God through the Holy Spirit is applied to our heart. And when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, it'll be the blood that'll let us in. Jesus Christ is the door. If Jesus is the door, then the blood is the key that unlocks the door that lets us in. I'm reminded of a missionary, uh, Brother Miles Mayer. He's a missionary in the Bay of Mobile. He goes on the ships and talks to the different sailors that come in from countries all over the world. And he said, whenever I witness to someone, I ask them this question. Or I make this statement. He said, if you died today, and you found yourself standing at the pearly gates. And let's say, for example, I know he's not. Brother Jeffrey, I know he's not. But let's say, for example, Peter standing at the pearly gates. That's the picture a lot of people have in their mind of heaven, right? He's got this big book. And he asked you this question. What makes you worthy to go in? Or why should you be allowed to go into heaven? It's amazing all of the different reasons people will come up with as to why they should be allowed into heaven. Oh, I, I gave to the church. I was a church member all of my life. I got baptized when I was a baby. Uh, all of these things, you know, they come up with, but there's only one thing that will get us into heaven. That is the blood. Without the blood, there'll be no entrance into heaven. So us in our Gentile minds, we probably weren't thinking about any of that going on today. But to the Orthodox Jew, though many of them are still dispersed from their homeland and those of them who are in their homeland, what many of them did today, today was a holy day. It was a day of great fasting. The day was spent as a day of prayer and a day of fasting. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, had taken it so far that you couldn't even wear leather shoes on today. You know, things like that. That if you, when you were going to drink, that if you had more water than you could hold in your jaws, then you're not fasting. They had all these rules and regulations, but to the Jew, it was a day of fasting, of mourning because of their sin and waiting for Yahshua. 
Messiah. But I can tell you the Messiah has already come. The Messiah is here. His blood is shed. And if you'll trust Him as your Savior, then you can have forgiveness of sin. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for salvation. 